that is turn offable, but my office sits next to the men's bathroom. <laughs> so every once in a while, you will know what that is. Hopefully it will be subtle background music. Well, we're recording this so I can edit out anything okay. that we need to that we need to remove. <laughs> so including if there's anything you say that after the fact you want me to take out, I am happy to oh, do Oh good. That. Oh, you're so. pretty good at this then. Well, I'm learning. Learning is learning as we go. So um so what we'll do then is take a very quick pause and then I will jump in, do a brief introduction, and then off we'll go with the questions. Okay. Great. Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Ingenious You, where we consider the most urgent and provocative topics that are reshaping higher education, and we speak with higher ed's most creative and visionary leaders. I'm joined for this episode by Dr. Donna M. Carroll, who is in her 27th year as president of Dominican University, a comprehensive Catholic university of 3,200 students located 10 miles west of Chicago. Dr. Carroll has presided over a period of tremendous and sustained growth at Dominican in size, quality, and complexity. During her tenure, the full-time faculty has doubled, new schools and programs have been established, the operating budget has increased fourfold, three campaigns have raised over 165 million in new assets, and the physical plant has expanded significantly, including three new buildings and the purchase of a second campus. She's been widely recognized for her leadership, including being named one of 20 Chicago women to watch by Crane's Chicago Business, one of the 100 women of influence by today's Chicago women, a Chicago Tribune remarkable woman, she was listed among the top 10 women in education by the Chicago Sun-Times and is the recipient of the CEO Leadership Award from the Council for Advancement and Supportive Education. And that is just to name a few of the many recognitions she's received. We will include a link to her full bio in the show notes so that you can become familiar with the full range of her background and accomplishments. But for now, President Carroll, I am so pleased to welcome you to the Ingenious You community. I am delighted to be here. We like to start our conversations by finding out something about the professional journey of our interviewees. So can you tell us when you were starting out in higher ed, did you ever imagine that this is where the story would end and how did you get here? You know, my, my story actually begins in college. Um, I finished my senior year a semester early and I was looking for something to do. So I followed my director of student activities um, to her graduate program. And I took a few classes in counseling psychology and higher education for that spring semester. And that is, that's essentially how I started. And being a college president, uh, did that even, uh... <laughs> Did that even cross your mind at that point? Um, not even remotely, but, but what did happen is um, I was able to, um, I shouldn't say I identified, but I was blessed to have been identified 
by a number of very important mentors in my life. Mm. So um, they were actually much, their aspirations for me were much clearer and more significant than I would say mine were at the time. And so it, it catapulted me um, into positions, actually catapulted me into my doctoral program and then into positions earlier than I might have otherwise um, done that. And, you know, I hear that so often from women leaders that it oftentimes it's others who, who see something in us and they, they name it and help to pull it out of us. And it's, it, it can be a very significant part of our story. Now you graduated from uh, Wellesley, is that right? Right. So mm -hmm. a women's college, you're uh, one of uh, more than a few uh, women's college graduates who wind up in the presidential, presidential seat, which is, which is interesting. Um, now in October of this year, you announced your decision to retire at the end of this academic year. And in your letter to the community, you write that for every president, there is a chapter. So how might one write the Donna Carroll chapter on leading Dominican University? Well, we might write the chapter by, um, by talking about my office. I, they must be moving chairs upstairs if, <laughs> if you're not hearing it. But, um, you know, I, I think they would start by saying it was quite long, you know, and um, when I, when I work with uh, aspiring presidents, I often say there are sprinters and there are marathoners. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not that I intended to be a marathoner, but um, you know, I found the, the opportunity to work with one institution over a long trajectory um, was, was very significant. Um, people will say, I'm sure, that um, one of the most significant elements of my presidency happened early. You know, we went through um, a name and status change in, in the second year of my presidency. So I had a dramatic start to that, that chapter. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as the first lay president, as the first woman who was not a member of the religious order that founded the institution, um, I was, was groundbreaking in, in many practical ways too. You know, I, I, I didn't live in the convent. <laughs> um, I had, I was, um, I was invited to come to Dominican to make the institution um, more external in its posture, you know, more strategic in its posture. And so, um, there, there were many firsts for Dominican during the, the last 27 years and, and, and um, most of them to my, my delight and pride um, moved us forward significantly. Well, and your tenure is unusually long, as you know. I think it's what, four, five times? <laughs> it is. Average these days. So I'm curious, what, what is it that held you so long? And then how did you know that this was the time to go? You know, I'm often asked that question, not, not surprisingly, and, and I answer it in one word, um, fit. Mm. You know, I, 
I think that um, the president, the presidency isn't a job, it's, it's a lifestyle. And um, you live it 24 seven, it is, it is very satisfying, it's very challenging, and it's sometimes um, exhausting. So the, the extent to which um, those things that are important to you in terms of mission and strategy align with um, the, the moment and the purpose of the institution, um, that, that really gives you a resilience and the resilience then gives you longevity. So, um, and I think the size of the institution too. When I, when I first came to Rosary College, we were, I remember it, I remember it like it was yesterday, mm -hmm. 729 undergraduate students and 123 freshmen, my fall, first fall. And so there's, <laughs> There's an intimacy to that experience um, that um, that connects you to to the institution deeply, and then as you grow the institution, you're even more deeply connected. You know, I I always say Dominican and I grew up together, mm. and and that that created um, really an enduring bond that. Um, you know, when those moments came, when I had other opportunities, I was always in the middle of a strategic plan or, or a campaign or building a building, or I was publicly engaged in an important initiative. And it, it, felt, um, it, it felt like I would be disruptive to the continuing success of the institution if I were to step out. And mm -hmm. so um, one year turned into another year, turned into 10, turned into 27. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and the tenure at one institution is also really remarkable, I, I think, because we both know, we, you know, many presidents uh, who have perhaps led two or three institutions right. over right. the course of your tenure. So, so how did you know this was the time to step to step away, you know, I I think I think the decision found me as much as I made it, because um, there are moments when a president can step away and feel confident the, that the institution has the capacity to make a smooth and successful transition. And um, right now, Dominican is a top 10 regional institution. This is our first year reaching the top 10. We are financially stable. We have a, an outstanding um, senior leadership team. So there, there, are, there are a number of factors around stability and reputation and growth. Um, actually, we had our one of our largest freshman classes, and we had our highest retention in twenty years. Mm. Believe it or not, all this in the middle of COVID, mm. and and so it it gave me a moment to pause and say, um, I can do this, and the institution can carry forward um, with grace and stability. Um, mm. 
And then, you know, and then the, you know, there are personal factors too. Um, as, as you said initially, you know, I have led four strategic plans, three capital campaigns and the like. And, and, ooh, excuse me for that. I am sorry. That's okay. We can, and, we, can um, we can cut this out. No, it, no, you know, having having reached a point where we we have a new plan in place. Oh, Jesus! I'm sorry. <laughs> Whoever is doing, how do I turn? This Somebody off? is trying to get to you. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly, and it's probably a rotary, you know, rotary call too, which is happening all the time. But no, anyway, and I I was at a point in in my career and um, and really my my personal life that. I didn't feel I could make another five to seven year commitment to lead the institution through a campaign. And, and most of our, our small um, or smaller regional universities are always have to pivot to the next great fundraising effort. And so I felt the institution was ready for new leadership um, and this was a moment that I could make a transition with with integrity and um, and hope for the future of the institution. So, well, and as as I've heard others say, when when it's time to go, you know. And it sounds like that was certainly is certainly the case for you. You know, I, I have to I have to say, Melissa, it it was it's probably not that clear for me. I mean, oh. it was a heart wrenching decision. Mm. You know, and the thought of letting go, um, but but just like the position is really not about you, the leaving is not only about um, your your choices. It's about what is in the best interests of the institution at that time. And I think I, I I think I've made the right decision, and I'm confident in it. But but the process of letting go is uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. Mm. I I can only imagine. You know, we've talked about all of the many achievements and congratulations on this past year. I mean that the the enrollment, the the financial stability those are those are really uh, incredible achievements in the midst of everything that we're all dealing with in higher ed. I'm curious though, as you reflect over your tenure, if there's one thing in particular that you're most proud of or uh, that, that really resonates in terms of personal meaning for you. Mm. You know, I, there are, there are a number that I could, um, could name, but I think the most um, the most important one for me personally was um, the advocacy work was and is the advocacy work that I do on behalf of undocumented students and the strong public statement the university has made in that regard. Um, I do think Dominican has been a leader in in the support of undocumented students and, and immigration reform and advocacy. And, and that has the impact, seeing the impact of that on individual students and knowing that we um, have, 
had an opportunity and have had the courage to, to take it, to, um, to change the lives of really now a generation of students who, but for circumstance, have the talent and the industry, but might not otherwise have had the opportunity to attend college. So in my heart, you know, aligned with the mission of the institution, you know, our strong commitment to social justice, I think that's the one that has been most personally transforming to me. Mm. Well, and you have also taken several significant steps to move Dominican forward in regard to diversity and inclusion more broadly. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk about uh, some of the things that you've done, what you've learned in the process, uh, any guidance for other presidents? Well, I, I, I think the first thing I would say is anybody looking to step into a presidency um, should realize that this is a burning issue um, and can be, can be um, a signature issue for a president or it can be a uh, debilitating issue. And, and there are, you know, we, we can talk about um, examples of both. Um, Dominican has been a Hispanic serving institution since 2011. Mm. Um, and we're one of you know, there are about 500 HSIs in the country. There are about 30 Catholic HSIs. Mm. And we have been, um, that has been the distinguishing element of our diversity for, for the last decade. So, um, so as the demographics of our student body changed, driven in part by our strong public advocacy for um, Latinx students in general and undocumented students, We've, we've developed more of a, what I would call critical consciousness about culture, race, um, and equity. And, um, and those issues have really um, reshaped um, how we approach our curriculum. They have surely um, been a driving force in how we reorganize student services um, and, and they're now, they are now factors that anchor our strategic plans. So um, our commitment to inclusive excellence is, um, is substantial and, um, and, and something that we've really been working um, consistently hard and responsibly. We just partnered with our village to do um, um, major shared um, uh, anti-racism agenda, and um, so that's exciting. You know, my you know my my personal goal being to assure that our increasingly diverse student body feels welcome in a community that that is still largely white and um, and privileged. And so the how do, how does a university introduce its student to the community and how does the community understand and invest in, in the university students is an important exchange for me. So um, that, that's, an, that's an exciting new initiative. Um, but my, advi my advice to, um, to future presidents or aspiring presidents 
is um, lean into it. Um, I, I think one of the challenges for, for many colleagues these days is, uh, and, and I don't mean to sound overly dramatic when I say this, but I think they're scared of their students mm. because, because the, the change is so dramatic mm. um, in some cases. And, and I think the answer there is to take a deep breath, be present, you know, show up, listen, you know, be, re be responsive. Um, don't, don't put the, the burden of um, diversifying programs on students' backs, recognize that it is, the learning curve is there for you <laughs> and you have to be part of that change. Um, and, all, and also recognize it's, it's, a, it's a very humbling leadership experience. Mm. You know, we all go into leadership with, with a toolbox of expertise, but for most of us, um, equity work and, um, and the challenges of a, a increasingly diverse student body in, in a pandemic, in, in, a, um, in a time of great racial unrest, in a toxic political climate, um, nobody, nobody has been prepared um, to lead in this context. Um, it's, it's a matter of um, taking the time, um, listening, and then having the courage to do what's right when the occasion calls you to make a decision. Mm, boy, very wise words. And you're so right. Uh, none of us have uh, been through a time quite like this before. So um, I, I really appreciate the guidance in terms of leaning in and uh, the humility that, that that requires. You know, as I'm listening to you, it strikes me that and I don't know if this is intentional or not, but you, your, your, your approach is very much like one who thinks of the organization as a learning organization. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you, it, your leading, your leadership style is, is one of being very learning, learner focused, which mm -hmm. I would imagine has also helped in many ways. You know, um, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. I, I don't know that I, I necessarily described it that way. I, I surely um, believe that, um, you know, leadership, particularly presidential leadership is, is not about you. You know, it's, it's about the institution. It's about the community that you lead. It's about you know, building a healthy learning environment and encouraging faculty, staff, and students to to do do their best work. Um, uh, and and so it you know it takes a it takes a certain um, disposition to to do it well and fairly. Um, over time, I, you know, when people ask me, I always say, you know, you have to be a grown up. You know, you really have to recognize that even though you, you have pushed through, through your career to get to this point where, where you sit in this seat, 
then you have to rec- you have to put ego aside and realize that um, you serve the institution. You are its greatest steward. You are its storyteller. Um, you are its uh, protector and it's, you know, the person encouraging, but, um, but you can't lose sight of the fact that um, the institution is about more than you. And I, and I think that's, um, you know, when you asked me early on, that's why I always say that each president has a chapter. You know, one, one of the things that is very interesting about presidential leadership is it, you know, you step into the institution for a period of time and you provide leadership direction, you, you, you love the people, you, you know, set the boundaries, you, you are the voice of the institution, and then you step out and the institution continues forward. So you steward a chapter. Um, and and as, I'm re- as I'm realizing myself now that I'm in my last four months, um, it doesn't really end and that's okay. You know, you, you, bring, you bring issues and projects and opportunities to a certain juncture of stability. And then, then a next president, then you hand it off to a next president. Um, and, um, and, and that's, you know, that's how it should be. Well, and that's a great pivot, uh, back to, uh, I wanted to ask you about the mentoring that you've done. I know that you, uh, have served in a formal capacity as a mentor to emerging leaders, emerging, uh, presidents, uh, and you've talked a lot about, uh, how you might counsel, um, emerging leaders, but one of the things I'm, I'm wondering about is how, how do you advise uh, potential presidents uh, as to how to discern whether that is the right pathway for them at a particular point in time? Well, let me see if I, I could remember this. I have a recipe for leadership. And let me, let me try, I use it with students. It's um, one part skills, two parts disposition. Um, what did I say? Add, add persistence. Um, I'm missing one. And then I say, um, sift out ego and sprinkle liberally with joy. I, I, you know, I'd have to find what I'm missing. I, you know, I think part of it has to do with, with what I said earlier. It is very important to shop the fit if you were looking to lead an institution. Because um, again, as I said earlier, it, it, it is an all-in lifestyle. And so if you don't, if you don't find joy and satisfaction in, in the lifestyle and in the meaningful moments, you, you don't have the resilience to do the job over time. And, um, and I always encourage um, aspiring presidents to, to really think through what is important to you because 
when the going gets tough, <laughs> and it and it always does in a presidency, particularly in a, in a long one like I've had, you know, you you ebb and flow with the institution. You want to be able to drill down and understand absolutely why you do what you do, so that 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 carries you through those dark moments, you know, after, after you've collaborated with everybody and consulted, and then you're sitting alone with that very difficult decision, which you know will satisfy some and horrify others. <laughs> um, you, you have to know what your context is, um, what drives um, your decision, and what is ultimately most meaningful for you. you know? Now, that doesn't mean that you don't you don't also have to you know shop the institution you know and I, and I will always talk with um, aspiring presidents about you know what to look for in a budget how to how to assess the climate of the faculty you know what are the indicators that it's a functioning board that knows governance and and understands your role as administration. So, you know, there are, there are concrete factors, but, but ultimately if, you're, if what is meaningful for you personally aligns with the mission of the institution, the likelihood that you will be able to lead with integrity over time is, is greater. And, and I, I know that from my own experience, I know that from the research, um, and I, and I believe that deeply. Um, and, I, and I guess the other thing I would say, and, and again, this is part of resilience, is you know, a, a president, and I'm gonna write an article on this at some point in the future, a president has a special relationship with hope and forgiveness. You, know, you, you must be someone that always sees the glass half full, you know, always sees the opportunity beyond the obstacle. And, and you, can't, you can't hold on to grudges. You know, there, there will be moments that are painful, but, but you are always 51% responsible for moving the institution forward. Mm. Um, and, and you need to be able to differentiate between what is coming at you that is painful because of the role you happen to be in or, or without personalizing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that understanding of hope that pulls an institution forward in tough times and forgiveness that enables you to lead um, in tough times, um, it, it's, it's, it's a maturity of understanding. <laughs> Oh, I hope you will write an article about this. I think that's, uh, that's a really compelling uh, guidance for current presidents and, and wannabe presidents. And it, it really speaks to what you were saying earlier about the need to be the adult, uh, which that's maturity and all you know, that goes into that. And, you know, I, you know, what people ask me all the time, you know, what, what is, what's the magic? of a successful presidency. And, and without sounding flip, I will often say, you know, a significant part of it is showing up every day, 
being fair, being balanced, um, you know, providing um, faculty, staff, and students with, with this constant center upon which they can depend so that they can go about the, you know, the core work of the institution, teaching and learning without being distressed by, by the administration of, of the university. So they can feel confidence in the institution. You, you may have heard this, I have a mantra, you know, and I, I share it often and I'm, I'm, I'm always flattered and I chuckle when I hear other people share it at the podium, they usually give me credit. But I call it the three C's, absorb chaos, respond calmly, and if you do that again and again, you build confidence within your organization. Mm. So absorb chaos, respond calmly, build confidence. Mm. And I think those three C's, um, you know, give the institution its stable anchor that enables it to get about its business, you know, respond in tough times like pandemics. Mm. Um, and really have the courage to take risks because um, the institution feels um, feels that it is well that it is well anchored in in leadership mission and um, you know and the like. So what's next for Donna Carroll? What's next for Donna Carroll? That that is. Um, that's a big question, you know, and, and, and I'm trying not to rush into an answer. Um, I have a sabbatical. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm taking the time to, um, to, um, to finish this position with integrity without looking over um, the shoulder of the next four months to, to what happens next. I've, you know, I've had, uh, I sit on a number of boards, which I will continue to serve on, on which I will continue to serve. Excuse me, I'm a former English major. Um, I, um, I have had a number of interesting invitations, you know, um, and um, I, I will likely do a corporate board if, you know, when that opportunity comes up. And as I said earlier, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do some writing, um, but I also want to take a little time and see what it feels like um, not to carry um, the burden uh, and the joy of an institution on your shoulders. I mean, I, you know, when I, when I first joined Rosary, I was one of the, the youngest presidents in the country. And now I retire as one of the longest serving presidents, surely in the state of Illinois, maybe nationally. Um, and so, you know, this has been a big chunk of my adult life. And so it will be interesting to see, um, to see how it feels. Um, to, to walk into the grocery store and be sort of a normal person and not the president who um, people approach with a question or a concern. Mm. You know, I, I, I actually, um, you know, 
am a little terrified of the transition because um, I love the job and the institution, but, um, but I also had, um, I had back to mentors. I had a mentor very early in my career when I was thinking about accepting the Rosary presidency, um, but, but was anxious because I, you know, I was young, I was leaving New York, et cetera, et cetera. And he said to me, and it was a he, he said, do not not do it out of fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I always remember that when I am deliberating on a, um, a big decision or preparing for the aftermath. Um, I am confident there will be, you know, some new challenges. Um, I look for I look forward to um, spending time with some of my friends. One of which is your former president. Yes, yes. And and um, and I have a number of those friends who are who have done this before me, mm. and so I'm getting lots of advice from them. You know, which goes in every assortment of direction, of course. Sure. <laughs> but but I I can tell you I'm. If you had asked me this question six, eight months ago, I might have broken into tears. Um, um, and and now I'm, you know, now I'm I'm more excited about the unknown than um, intimidated by it. Um, I'm looking. F- my first choice will be what what I do immediately after, because I think it's important that a former president, quote unquote, get out of town <laughs> for a while when a new president steps in, so that um, you know the new president has space and independence. Um, and then I I will be at her service when it comes to transition and donors and the like, you know, so that again, I, I, and I assure a smooth transition. I mean, I, I am right now invested in um, doing everything I can to prepare the institution for a new president, to leave open the decisions that are appropriate for a new president to make, but to, but to finish things that, um, that don't leave her, you know, racing around trying to understand a half-baked decision. So, um, so right now I'm focused on this, and then of course, and then of course I'm also focused on packing up an office after 27 years. <laughs> and so every once in a while, I um, I open a cabinet or look in a file or you know or throw something away. You know? <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, I have no idea, or I have no doubt there will be another very interesting and rich chapter in the life of Donna Carroll. And I'm, I'm going to look forward to hearing um, uh, over time, you know, and reading that chapter, however it might, however it might proceed. So thank you. Let me end with a signature question. And we ask this question of all of our guests, and it has to do with the future of higher education. So I really want your opinion here. So in your opinion, what do you think needs to be on the radar of every college and university leader right now as we look to the future? 
Mm. Well, um, I think we have to be very, and this might be something nobody else has said. I think we have to be very conscious of language. Um, for instance, I, I hear many of my colleagues talking about um, how they can't wait to get back to normal. Mm. I think we should get rid of the term back. <laughs> there is no going back. You know, I think higher ed needs to move forward. Um, having learned an enormous amount about technology and online teaching and learning and, and um, focus on what that new, new um, modality or modalities will look like academically. Um, I also think we have to um, expunge the term um, or the dichotomy haves and have nots. You know, I, I, you know, because we do a lot of equity work, um, I spend quite a bit of time challenging um, people in conversations when they talk about first generation to college students from a deficit perspective. I think, you know, those of us who work with first generation, uh, largely students of color, need to um, approach this work from uh, a point of strength. You know, we need to recognize our students as assets that enrich the learning environment and will enrich society. And, um, and we we have to recognize um, you know, the opportunity and the privilege we have educating um, this demographic of students rather than wasting time um, yearning for the, the wealthy privileged um, student of the past. I mean, I think we have to fight against the dichotomies in higher education, but, but I don't, I don't um, think we should approach those dichotomies viewing one as, as less than the other, but rather focus on the opportunity we have um, for educating what will be the majority of students in the future. So, um, and then I would say in a, in a, in a larger sense, um, you know, higher ed it will be in a, in a transformative mode and and I think people stepping into leadership um, are going to have to approach it with flexibility and resilience um, and, and a degree of um, risk, but also but calculated risk um, and, and an understanding of um, data analytics is just essential now in, in a way that it wasn't when I was initially a president. I mean, I think, I think we know so much about our students, about learning, about um, you know, financial ratios and the like, not my favorite, but <laughs> that um, it will be very important for leaders of the future to be analytically sophisticated, not as a substitute for, uh, for the interpersonal piece of leadership, which I always think uh, remains the most important, you know, the 
authenticity of the person, the ability to communicate, the ability to care for people. But, but I think you, you have to be strategically and analytically savvy um, looking forward um, in a way that perhaps was less, um, was less of a dramatic need um, in, in the past. Or maybe I just didn't notice it <laughs> in the way I notice it now. Well, no, and you you so succinctly pulled those things together. Um, so, uh, President Carroll, I am so uh, so grateful for your time, and I wish you and Dominican all good things in the months ahead. And we're going to look forward to hearing uh, from you in some other capacity. I have no doubt in the the months, the years ahead. So. Thank you. No, so I look forward to Who knows? Maybe Carol and I can co-teach something for you, Melissa. Wouldn't that be great? Or, or a book. How about it? Well, that's, that is surely a, a possibility. But I think first I'm going to write my mystery novel before I write a, you know, an academic tunes. So, um, but thank you. It was, this was fun to do. I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, no, I'm, this has been great. And everything, uh, it, it was just terrific. And all of your, your responses, you know, it, it, your responses uh, reflect the, the life you've lived, you know, it's, it's, it comes from deep within I, it's lived experience. And yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can cut and paste in ways that takes out the flushing toilet and the, <laughs> the furniture being moved upstairs. I didn't, I, I didn't hear it. I couldn't pick up any of it. <laughs> None of that was Jessica, up, so. Jessica was having a heart attack. She was <laughs> racing out of the room. <laughs> you know, speaking of mystery books, my my uh, someday I'm going to write a book. Who killed the provost? I've got the plot <laughs> all worked out in my head. So <laughs> there we go. There we go. You know. So, well, listen, well, Melissa. Anything else I can do to help? And good luck with it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. Yeah, bye bye.